As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Before you solicit sponsorship on any level, there are obviously a number of things that you need to know to do. There are also a handful of things that you need to learn not to do. At the top of that list is one simple word that seems innocent enough, but to the decision makers in the motorsports marketing industry, this one word, it's a dirty word. Like It's not a four-letter word, but it's often interpreted as a four-letter word. This simple word can, at minimum, be a huge turnoff to those decision makers, and oftentimes a complete conversation ender. Learn what that word is and much, much more in my new course called Make Your Racing Pay for Itself. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash make it pay. That's all one word. Again, thisisbracketracing.com slash make it pay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. It's time for The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right. It is an absolute pleasure to have this guy on the phone with us tonight. Very well known in the racing community. Um, many-time 
champion, whether it was a series or events, just big buck racing in general, but very, very well accomplished racer that we're glad to have Slick Rick Bear with us tonight. Slick, how's everything in your world? Oh, man, not too bad. Just got done eating dinner with the family and my wife's putting them to bed. So I figured I'd sneak up here and chit chat with you folks for a little while and see what kind of embarrassments y'all can can get me into. (laughs) Oh, no, none of that. Of course not. (laughs) <laughs> we do appreciate you taking some time. I know you you got a busy family life and work life, and I know you had to squeeze this in. So thank you for, for giving us a little bit of your time tonight, bud. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And everybody can tell by listening to you talk that you're a Yankee, but what part of the world are you in tonight? I am in beautiful but cold Smyrna, Tennessee, which is just south of Nashville, about 20 miles down Route 24. Yeah, it is really nice there in Smyrna. So you're one of us now. You're a southerner now, but you uh, you still I'm talk what they, funny. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, what the, I'm what they call a damn Yankee. You know, I come <laughs> yes, down here. With, within the first year, you're classified as a Yankee, and then after about a year, they, they call you a damn Yankee because you didn't go home. <laughs> <laughs> well... Rick, obviously, I think most of our listeners know who you are and and have some knowledge of your racing history and accomplishments. But for those that aren't 100% familiar with you, give us your story. Tell us how you got started in racing and and trying to bring us up to the point you are now. All right. Well, I guess at uh, probably the age of about 14 years old, I started running my my mom's 2000, not 2000, it was probably about a 95 f-150 pickup truck and you know the sportsman class or trophy class that we had up in norwalk ohio and i ran that for about a year and then ran her uh thunderbird for a little while and then right around the age of 15 i purchased my first vehicle uh in general which was my all-purpose vehicle it was my daily driver to school and the camaro that i currently compete with presently on a national level um, you know, it was a real slow streetcar back then, about 16 flat in the, uh, the quarter mile. I'm not really sure what that equates to in the eighth mile, probably nine or 10 seconds or so, yeah. but you know, I kind of transformed it, you know, the stock driven, uh, street driven vehicle that it was to what I'm sure everybody's, you know, familiar with what it is now, you know, absolutely my pride and joy, my baby before I had babies, you know, it's, it's one of those things where. You know, I've kind of allowed my children and my wife to kind of, you know, be involved in the racing scene with me. And and frankly, I, I look at drag racing as, as a true escape from everyday life. You know, it's what I do to have fun. It's what I do to, to try to be competitive and make my earnings or make, make my expenses back at the end of the year if I can. At the end of the day, if, if I'm not having fun drag racing, I'd, you know, I'd probably give it up for sure. Oh, no doubt about it. I'm sure a lot of people feel that way. So you mentioned that Norwalk's where you got your start. You grew up where, Rick? I grew up in Avon Lake, Ohio, which is literally on the lake lakefront of Lake Erie, probably about 30 minutes west of Cleveland, Ohio. Right around my junior year, my mom moved us out of my grandma and grandpa's house there in Avon Lake and moved down to Wellington, which about the same proximity towards or in relation to Cleveland but a little bit south, about 40 minutes south of where I was living. 
And I lived there till I graduated high school. And then upon graduation, I moved to Toledo, Ohio, where I went to school at the University of Toledo. And I spent a good eight to 10 years there in Toledo, worked a couple different jobs, one in in the city of Toledo, and then also uh, worked up in Detroit for about a year and a half before we decided to move back home to the Wellington area. So I spent uh, a good 32 years of my life up in up in northern Ohio. Yeah, so you said Smyrna's cold. That it's you don't remember cold very well, I guess, if you think Smyrna's cold, because I imagine it's really cold back at quote unquote home. <laughs> we we looked at that on the way back from dinner. It was uh, I think it was 16 degrees and felt like seven. Oh, then it is seven. It yeah. feels like seven. Yeah. It is in my book. So. <laughs> You're widely regarded as as one of the best bottom ball racers to ever compete in the sport. You have made your name on the bottom ball. You've got tremendous talent. You've got all the abilities that any racer in any class would need to be successful, yet you've kept your skills focused on the bottom ball. Why bottom ball only? Why, Why haven't you got caught up chasing the riches of the top ball offerings these days? Well, I, I have to admit, I, I started playing around with it a little bit earlier in the year, trying my my luck off the top ball, like practice on the practice tree a little bit, try to get familiar with it. And I went to a couple of events early on and, and tried giving it a go. And, you know, I guess maybe maybe I really haven't given it its due time. You know, it's its fair share of my uh, my attention. But, you know, I, I started off off the bottom growing up and back in, in my day, talking like an old feller, you know, we didn't have the junior dragsters, but, you know, we started out early in our mother or father's daily drivers. I'm sure you did. And I'm sure Luke and, you know, Mark did as well. But, you know, I grew accustomed to hitting the bottom, whether it be foot braking or off the trans brake. And when you look at it, you know, I've made probably 20,000 runs or more hitting the bottom where I might've made a hundred runs off the top. So when it comes to throwing my, my entry fee money down for the big money, you know, I just feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more calculated trying to hit it off the bottom and then change the game up completely and, and go off the top. So I, I just embraced the bottom ball side of it. Makes sense. And it's obviously worked out very well for you. Rick, you mentioned that you're, from the Ohio area and you've spent time in several different places and kind of made your mark in racing from that area. November the 11th, 2009 is a day that many from your home area will never forget. It was the the passing of Andrew Dombrowski and you had a very good relationship with Andrew. Tell us about your relationship with him. That's a tough one. I can't honestly say I, I heard or I thought that question was coming. You know, obviously with uh, you know Andrew's passing, just as of, as of late or the anniversary of his passing, definitely brought a lot of memories back. You know, I obviously spent a lot of time with him. He was a really young, impressionable kid at that point. I just started driving his his uh, grandpa's car a couple years prior, and crazy enough, the last racing trip Andrew was on was with me down in Piedmont, North Carolina. Actually, it wasn't even Piedmont. We were at Farmington, and we had parked my motorhome and trailer at uh, Herb McCandless's house and uh, was planning on coming back in a couple of weeks to run 
Piedmont's footbrake race. And what, what hurts the most about that whole situation was that Andrew and I talked the entire way back in the rental car that I rented that when we went down again for Piedmont, you know, I was going to let him wheel my car at, at the footbrake race. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, every time this time of year comes around, there's that little feeling of emptiness where, you know, I couldn't allow the kid to get behind the wheel of my car and, and see what he could have done, you know, with the competition there in Piedmont. Yeah. You know, I knew that you guys had made the trip to to North Carolina together uh, shortly before his passing. And well, as I mentioned, it was November the 11th. And as we're recording this, it's the 12th of November. So that was yesterday. And I could see some of the things on Facebook still popping up the post about how much he's missed. And Andrew was young when he passed. How did someone so young touch so many lives, Rick? I mean, yours and so many more in that area. I think there's probably several others, you know, like Randy Biddle and Chris Wallen and, you know, a number of the others that, that really spent a lot of time with him at Dragway 42. Andrew grew up at the racetrack with his grandpa at, 40, at Dragway 42. And, you know, just over the past, you know, I guess two years prior to his passing, he started spending a lot of time at Norwalk. But the time that he spent at Norwalk, the time that he spent at Dragway 42, he was truly a student of the sport. He was all up in, you know, in everybody's, I hate to say all up in everybody's business. He was all up in everybody's uh, (laughs) racing routine. You, You know what I mean? He would analyze your, your time tickets. You know, he'd ask you, what'd you do there? Why was the outcome what it was? He was truly a student of the sport. And I think a lot of people took him under their wing and tried to, to feed him as much information as possible, not only from the standpoint that he was a young kid and up-and-comer in our sport, but the fact that, you know, he truly cared about, about the numbers. He truly cared about the game in general. To me, that was uh, extremely refreshing to be able to communicate to somebody that, you know, was, was 10 years younger than me and uh, had the, the heart and desire that I did 10, 15 years prior. So, you know, to me, I think just the fact that he was uh, interested in learning, he, he took a, a real high interest in, in, in what, uh, what the sport had to offer. You know, I think everybody just kind of saw that and, uh, you know, took him, in, uh, took him in and took him under their wing. Yeah, I think that sums it up very well and obviously impacted a lot of lives in a very short time and, and somebody that's truly missed and you can still see it today, 10 years later. So, Rick, you're obviously very well known for having accomplished a, a lot of great things in racing. I mean, we have, all of us have seen you perform at a very high level over multiple decades now. I think still your most significant accomplishment is one that is not likely to ever be duplicated in any shape, form, or fashion. Tell us what happened in late October 2005. Uh, You know, I don't know that all of our listeners know that, but that is truly remarkable what you accomplished. (laughs) Well, it's kind of funny up until probably a couple of years ago when, when these big dollar races started popping up everywhere where you could pretty much win a hundred thousand dollars any month you choose to go racing. You know, I know from a true dollars and cents standpoint, I believe there's several off the bottom that's been able to not necessarily duplicate, but kind of 
stack up to, if you sure. will. I know Kevin Pollard, he's he's a bad dude any way you cut it. He's obviously performed pretty well at, at a number of the SFG events. And I know it's probably cleared. I don't know the exact figures. I try not to involve myself with, you know, the financials of it. But, you know, I know he uh, was probably over the hundred grand mark at some point. I know there's probably been a couple of others that have been doing, that have done the same. But 2005 was, was, was pretty special. You know, I had just come off a year in which I rolled my 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 racing operation in 2004 heading up to Milan Dragway. And, you know, I spent the entire 2004 season up until the, uh, the October of 2004, just trying to put my car back together, put my life back together. You know, I was in a relationship, that relationship ended. I ended up hopping into a new relationship and that, uh, that's when I met my wife, Sarah late 2004. And for whatever reason, the, at the Nobox Bonanza up in Norwalk, Ohio in October 2004, I I really won my first significant drag race. You know, it, it's a five grander that was paid out at that time. My first big one, as they call it. Just parlaying that into the 2005 season, shoot, I don't really sit back and look at the past, I guess, as much as maybe I, I should or could, but I know there was a couple five granders that I knocked out early in the year. I, I knocked out a 15 grander off the bottom in Stanton in August. And that kind of led up to October, which kind of presented a, a unique situation. The world finals, the IHRA world finals that was going to be contested in Rockingham, uh, got pushed back a month due to a hurricane that had come up through the Gulf and, and had reached all the way up into North Carolina. And the, the scheduling of that event got put right smack dab on top of the Halloween Classic at Norwalk. And at the Halloween Classic, I was already pre-entered in not only the main event, but there was a Mosier Super Axle shootout race that paid a thousand bucks. I was in a Thursday night gamblers race that paid fifteen hundred dollars. And then, to me, the second biggest race I've, you know, ever had a chance to contend for, it was for a turnkey race tech, you know, ready to go dragster. They went seven fifties in the quarter, you know, really nice piece. And, and how many cars had, qualified had, for that? The top 16 points earners in the pro class or the no box class. Okay. So four, four round event, you know, and the winner of that was going to be rewarded with a, a $50,000 dragster. Well, one point I thought I was going to have to choose. Do I stay at Norwalk or do I, I try to go down to Rockingham and try my hand for the, the world championship? And uh, just so happened that uh, the schedules aligned well enough where I was able to run the two smaller events on Thursday, which I was fortunate enough to win both of them, the Mosier Super Axle Shootout and the, the $1,500 to win Gamblers Race. Friday night was the uh, the runoff for the dragster. By virtue of a one thousandth of a second finish line margin, I still remember that as as vividly as as any other win I've ever had. I I was able to win that dragster on that Friday night. We uh, loaded the dragster up in a trailer that my brother had won in a similar runoff race for sportsman drivers. So he won a twenty eight foot box trailer to fit my my turnkey dragster into. We barricaded it with cars, and we hit the road down to Rockingham that night. We arrived in Rockingham about 4 or 5 in the morning. 
I made my one time shot on Saturday and we immediately went to the hotel and I was able to get some sleep and finished off the, uh, 20, 21 round performance, uh, by winning the, the world championship that year. So I basically one weekend, two racetracks, uh, about 10 and a half hours apart, went 21 and Oh, and man, what a, what a, what a rush. <laughs> yeah. what, a, what a memory. Yeah. And you were obviously doing that on little rest and a lot of adrenaline, but it wasn't like you were lucking your way into wins. I, I think if I remember correctly, like your worst reaction time of that stretch was like a 17 or something. And you might even had that and on your last final. And that was your, your worst light was 17 off the bottom. That is correct. <laughs> Which is, I mean, as I was hearing that back then, it was like, this guy's just, he must be the best that's ever done it. That was amazing. And you were beating, obviously, box cars and everything else. So what an unbelievable run uh, to to even to even do it, you know, to, to put yourself in position to do it and then go accomplish that in those two different, you know, 10, 11 hours apart. is <laughs> just truly amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's insane. I mean, I look back on it still today and just, I mean, I, I don't believe it in some cases, you know, I've, I think I pulled it up for Gleghorn last week. He was busting my chops about something. And I sent him that article and he's like, wow, I never even knew. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just to hear that reaction, you know, 14 years later. And, uh, frankly, it's, it's one of those things where I still, you know, if I wasn't there to experience it, uh, I, I would have never believed it for sure. Yeah, and and the prize package for your IHRA World Championship was uh, excellent as well. You you talked about guys winning a hundred thousand dollars in a you know in a race here or there, and and obviously there's a a ton of that that's that's available to the racer now. But to win a hundred thousand worth of prize and and money and stuff and, and vacations in a weekend then was unheard of. <laughs> and, and, and you you accomplished that is unbelievable well i certainly appreciate it you know it's one of those things where you know as you continue to progress through the sport you know as i get older and you get older and you know all these other young whippersnappers are coming up you know you know as well as i do that you know racing was tough back then but i'll tell you what it's uh it's pretty intense now i mean it's definitely yeah. something where you know, the talent level's gotten uh, a little bit higher. Everybody's equipment has gotten a uh, heck of a lot better. And it just makes it uh, even more special, you know, even to knock off a $2,500 to win race at uh, US 43 in Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. You know, there's 10 to 15 drivers that are very capable of winning that race, you know, including Adam Davis and Brad Plord and uh, Todd Berry and John Burleson. I mean, the list goes on. It's uh, sure. it's pretty impressive the the amount of talent we have in our sport. I agree, but even that you talk about fourteen years ago, what you accomplished, and when you look at the runs you were making and and the way you were driving, that's that still is competitive today to the point where it it turns on many win lights and wins many checks. So. Uh, very, it just makes it that much more impressive because the 
you know, that you just didn't see as quite a tight a window back then as you do now. But you, you obviously were at the top of your game during that weekend and, and accomplished some amazing stuff. So, <laughs> uh, so Rick, you, you've talked a little bit about it thus far, but you, you've got a, a pretty awesome supporting cast around you. Um, and you're always quick to recognize their support. But tell us about the, the wonderful females in your life. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you what. You know, if it wasn't for uh, the support, the interest in the uh, the sport, and the, uh, you know, the love that she obviously has for a pain in the butt like me, um, <laughs> you know, with without Sarah, you know, and everything that she does from making sure the motorhome's prepared for the weekend, talking me off the cliff when, you know, I made a bad run or made a stupid mistake and, you know, ready to throw in the towel or, uh, you know, giving me crap over the amount of money I spend on the, on the sport that I love so much, you know, without her, you know, without her support and, and continued interest in, in what I do and what we do as a family on the weekends, I certainly wouldn't uh, continue to do it. So definitely big hats off to her for putting up with me. And, you know, I changed my mind pretty much like a female. No, no, uh, (laughs) didn't really mean that as an insult to anybody in general, just, uh, you know, I, I changed my mind, you know, it could be on a weekly basis as to where I want to go racing and it could be weather related. It could be my perceived odds of winning. You know, I definitely try to position myself in the best way I know how. So if it's racing a top ball brace off the bottom or going to a no box race for a little bit less payout, you know, I might make that decision Friday before we leave the driveway. So that, that sure. drives her insane. But, uh, but she's uh, 100% supportive of what I do. And, you know, I greatly appreciate all that. You know, I got my two beautiful young daughters. Uh, Lexus is now seven. She doesn't know this yet. Uh, I've talked to mama bear and, I think we're going to be pulling a trigger on a uh, junior dragster for her uh, to see how she likes it. Okay, um, so any, of you, any of you, any of you listeners out there, don't be uh, communicating to a seven-year-old because uh, she didn't know yet. <laughs> <clears throat> well, that's good stuff. But, but no, we're going to, we're going to see if she has a, a genuine interest in it. She's uh, been talking a lot of her interest in potentially getting into a junior dragster over the past uh, couple of months. And so we're going to get her a, a starter junior dragster to kind of see how she likes it. And if she likes it, we'll proceed forward. But she should make her debut sometime in the spring or uh, early summer next year. So I'm, I'm excited and a little bit nervous for that. Yeah, I can understand both of those. And obviously, <laughs> so two beautiful daughters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're very supportive and wonderful wife, Sarah, and your mom as well. You know, I know she's huge support for you. You got some great people in your corner. Yeah, I definitely can't leave out Mama Bear. She, uh, or you know, the original Mama Bear. She was the one that got me started into the sport. She was the one that taught me the basics behind how the game works. And uh, from there, I just kind of put my own spin on it and have been able to, you know, be mildly successful in the meantime. So definitely uh, owe her quite a bit of gratitude for, you know, everything she taught me growing up and, supporting me while I was uh, going to school and, and, and trying to do racing at the same time. So, you know, without uh, my mom, 
my wife and my two daughters and, you know, even the support cast, uh, outside of the, the females, you know, I've got huge family following any, anytime I go up to Norwalk, I've got uncle Dan and aunt Cheryl and, uh, their son, Zachary, who's in a junior dragster as well. Grandpa and then grandma who passed away a couple of years ago. Now she was the one that got us all started. It's one of those where it's kind of, it's been in the family for three generations. So I look forward to passing it down to the next generation. Very cool. So you have been involved in racing for quite some time. And what probably a lot of our listeners won't know is you, you've done several roles in racing, even promoting. You put on with, with Jeff Stewart, you put on the, uh, the bottom bulb extravaganza. I think you guys did that a couple of times, if I'm correct. Was it two or three? Yep. Yep. We did uh, two years. Two, two years. years of that. What would you say was the toughest part about promoting Rick that you didn't know going in? I would say it is the unknowns. When you sit back and, and start planning an event, you know, everything in your mind is set up perfectly for the execution of that event. <laughs> yeah. um, what you have no idea what's going to happen relative to the weather relative to car count relative to the timing system or a number of other just crazy off the wall variables that that can be thrown at you and i think you know maybe at the time when i got into the promoting side of it you know maybe i wasn't quite ready for it or you know just maybe i was dealt a bad hand in either case you know it's one of those where the first year we had rain forecasted at 75 percent chance you know it was uh zero percent chance of rain two weeks out you know everybody knows the uh, long range <laughs> forecasts aren't worth a, <laughs> worth a darn and if you have any questions relative to that you can ask michael beard and i think he'll fill you in on the details <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think beard would back that up <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, going into that first event, you know, we we're counting our, our chickens before they hatched relative to, you know, having a great weekend for racing. And when we got up to the event, I think Friday was uh, a decent forecast, but the forecast for Saturday and Sunday were 70% chance or higher. So, you know, we still managed to get a pretty decent car count, even though, you know, we had that that crappy weather forecast and you know we didn't really encounter any other issues aside from just uh some things that we didn't anticipate relative to track rentals and you know dealing with you know a percentage deal like we had we had made the first year um so it was just enough to where we felt like why don't we give it a, a, a try in year two and hopefully we get better weather you know, we decided to move venues based on the fact that Quaker City was uh, in the process of being sold. And we decided to move it to Pacemakers Dragway, which is a little bit smaller venue, but still a venue that would have been able to, to uh, allow for 200 plus cars to, to be on the property. And the problem with the second year, the forecast for all three days was over 100 degrees, literally in northern Ohio or middle Ohio, 100 degrees was the forecast for all three days. And that just murdered our car count to the point where, I'll be honest, we, we lost quite a significant amount of money. In addition to that, you know, we had a timing system blunder that, that kind of plagued us for Friday and Saturday. And it, it really just put a pretty bad taste in Jeff and I's mouth. And, you know, after that, we just decided, you know what, we have a heck of a lot more fun drag racing. So let's just go back to that. <laughs> so 
Yeah, you guys have dealt some tough blows. You did a good job. I, I was there at Quaker City, and y'all y'all ran a really good race. Just as you said, you you dealt some difficult circumstances. <laughs> but no, I mean it's one of those where it's a it's a learning experience, and and quite frankly, there's a couple of events that uh, are kind of in the works this year. I don't know how much folks know in the the Middle Tennessee area, but Crossville Dragway was uh, just leased out for another five years. The gentleman that is leasing the track is going to take a real high interest in developing their bracket program. I have been in contact with him. He actually reached out to me about two weeks ago and let me know what was going on. And him and I had a really good conversation this past week. I don't think I'm going to get into it from a, a promoting standpoint, but you know, I certainly wanted to provide him any kind of wisdom or food for thought that I, I possibly could to, you know, help the sport move forward, help the sport grow. Because Crossville Dragway is a beautiful facility, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting back there a few times next year. Yeah, and your experience would definitely be a benefit to to whomever is is taking that over, and I'm sure it'll it'll help them a lot. This is painful for me, Rick, but I got to discuss it. You're a huge Ohio State fan. You, you obviously wave their flag very well. Is there a game that you would go to if you had the opportunity that it wouldn't matter what race was happening in your backyard? They could put any race they wanted, but you had an opportunity to go to this particular game. You would choose it 100 times out of 100. <laughs> is there a dream matchup that you'd like to like to go to? I mean, I know you don't want to go watch them play the team up north. Well, I mean, you know, I've been to that game once before. That was a pretty special experience. Fortunately, sure. we won that that game. But you know, I honestly, I would have loved to be at the Ohio State Alabama game a few years back in the the semifinals of the championship, the first playoff series. You know, it was one of those runs where Everybody in Ohio knew how special that team was, but the fact that uh, we were on our third-string quarterback was one of those kind of like, well, I mean, it could go good, but it could go bad. Every other piece was in place, but you kind of need a good quarterback to kind of lead the way. And, you know, I think that was a very special game. I'm kind of hoping that Alabama's chances are not uh, ruined from their loss this past weekend because I would love to have the opportunity to see my Buckeyes uh, play your Crimson Tide. That would be yeah. pretty special. Well, I thought we wanted some then, and obviously your third-string quarterback run amok on us, and Zeke Elliott chimed in and did what Zeke Elliott does, and that was painful to watch. And um, <laughs> I feel pretty sure we don't want any right now. I don't think our defense is tough enough to handle what you guys throw at them, but as we speak, I've just looked at the the breaking news, the top four rankings for the college football playoff, and obviously my let, tide. Let, let, I was going to say, let me throw my, my top six in there before you give me the result, because I have not seen them yet. Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. All right. So my take on the deal, you know, and I'm uh, similar to the sport of drag racing. I am a, a study of the, the college football world. And I am, uh, you know, surprisingly able to take my horse blinders off from, from the team that I love so dearly and uh, be able to look at it from an outsider's perspective. And so, 
you know, with that being said, I, I know going into the first college football playoff reveal last week, I certainly didn't have my guys as number one. Honestly, I felt like maybe they were number two, but I kind of felt like good possibility they'd come in at number three. So, you know, now that we've seen uh, another week worth of football, you know, I guess my top six would be as follows. I would certainly have LSU number one, what they've done this year. They're a special team. You know, I got to give my hats off to uh, Joe Burrow, my my uh, Ohio State quarterback from a few years ago. Yeah. Damn, I wish we would have held on to him. But, you know, I think we've got a good quarterback uh, in the guy that we do have now. I think he's going to be a special one. So I'd, I'd go uh, LSU number one, Ohio State number two, Clemson number three. And honestly, I would put the Crimson Tide four. Oregon five and Georgia six. How well did I do? You did really well. You do have Georgia and Oregon flipped from what the the rankings came out as, but Alabama did uh, maintain the number four spot, which will still be very difficult for them to hold, not having the opportunity to play in the conference championship. But we'll see how it plays out. But you you did really good. Obviously a student of the of the game there. So uh, your Buckeyes playing well. And I'm sure they are going to be a handful for whomever lines up with them. <laughs> I hope so. <clears throat> we know they will. That's a great program, as painful as it is for me to admit that to you. But you know behind <laughs> the scenes, you and I text a little, so you know I'm I'm not that guy. Loving my team don't make me hate yours. So I know I, I know you'll give me uh you'll give me an IO for my OH, right? That's right. You know I will. <laughs> so Rick, you've dabbled in NHRA and IHRA stock eliminator and super stock. Uh, You've had success in both categories. You actually have an IHRA stock eliminator victory under your belt. I know of one. It might be more. And I know you've got an NHRA stock eliminator victory. Matter of fact, that happened at your home track, Norwalk. So obviously you had some success. Any plans to give either of those another shot? Man, I uh, honestly, I've been kicking it around in my head a little bit. Probably, what, June-ish uh, time frame, I, I drove up to Louisville and I picked up uh, a stock eliminator car that used to be driven by Randy Wilkes um, that's now owned by Scott Lamar. And I've been uh, kind of kicking around, getting back into the stock eliminator ranks a little bit. Scott did offer me the seat for few events and you know it's potentially it could still happen come january february time frame down in florida i'm just not sure yet with uh my new job that i've been able to acquire uh you know how much time i want to take away from that couple that with bracket racing big from the big dollar scene has just gone insane you know obviously everybody knows how big it's come and in, in top ball racing but when i look at my calendar for next year you know, I've got significant events like the the Memphis Million. I will be attending your hundred thousand dollar to win foot break race in Bristol. I plan on doing the world foot break. This you know, I didn't make it to either the world foot break or the southern this year. It just kinda happens to be how the schedule fell for me this year. So sure. plan on doing a little bit more foot break racing next year. And then, you know, I'm still kicking around with you know, my finances, whether I'm going to enter one of the SFG big races. 
Um, I certainly would love to, given the fact that there is such a great bonus to win the no box side. And then, you know, by the time you get thrown into the main event, you're, you're darn near the, to the split already. So, yeah, you know, with, with looking at everything that we as big dollar bracket race followers uh, have available to us, looking at the payouts for NHRA nationals or even divisional events, coupled with the fact that, you know, I'd be racing for, you know, a really nice gentleman in, in Scott Lamar, it, it just financially, I don't, I don't think it really adds up. So as much as I'd love to do it from the standpoint of the, the prestige and the coolness factor of, of winning a Wally and, you know, being able to be up on stage at a national event with the other, all the other pros, uh, at the end of the day, you know, I'm not uh, going to be out at the racetrack 35 weekends out of the year like I was when I was young and dumb and uh, <laughs> single, without a house, without a career, without kids. I got to pick and choose my battles. And, you know, if I'm going to do that, I'm, I'm probably going to lean more towards the big dollar bracket racing scene. Yeah. Understandable. Uh, those those NHRA events are you know, definitely bucket list type things, but they, they still have to fit in. It's hard to fit them in with the, the schedule that's available to the bracket racer today. So I get that completely. So as we're starting to wrap things up here, Rick, you've won a ton. I mean, you obviously have accomplished great things in our sport and I've seen you in quite a few winter circles, but I don't think I've ever seen you any prouder of a win than your win at the Halloween Classic this year. Uh, it just seemed like that that just had your pride meter pegged. Take us through that day. Tell us a little bit about it. Obviously, that's been something you've tried to accomplish for quite some time. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's insane. You know, there's certain competitors that you go up against that, you know, you have a great record against, and then there's other competitors that you just can't seem to beat them, whether you you know, throw the kitchen sink at them or not. And to me, the Halloween classic, I had been fortunate enough to win every single race that that event had to offer from the Sunday before event to the Wednesday events, to the Thursday events, Friday bonus races, everything except for the main event. And, you know, I started racing the Halloween classic in, in 1999. And there's several of the, the local folks that I raced with on a, on a regular basis that made the comment, I can't believe you haven't won this before. <laughs> My reaction was like, no crap, right? I mean, it's <laughs> like, I feel like that was like the, the holy grail, the, the one that kept getting away regardless of how good of runs I made or how well I felt I was driving. It was just seemed like every time I would get down to four cars or eight cars, I would make some mistake or somebody would throw the kitchen sink at me and I was just never able to, to make it work. So in that event, you know, frankly, in general, Sunday events, I've just historically have not really been successful. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, the career right? You're driving, you know, eight hours to go to a drag race. And on Sunday afternoon, you know, you're adding up the hours it takes to get home and figuring out what hour you're going to get in at nighttime and yeah. you know, trying to determine how many hours of sleep you're going to get before you got to wake up again. Right. Yes. So I think that that has something to do with it. 
but you know, kind of leading up to this weekend or that, that weekend in Norwalk, I had had some success in Memphis where I had won and semi-finaled the Sunday event of uh, the Great American Bracket Race. And then uh, the Novox Bonanza at Norwalk a couple of weeks prior, I got down to three cars before I, you know, kind of fell out of the seat a little bit. But, you know, that was a good paying semifinal uh, appearance that I had. So I had two successful Sundays going into the, the main event. And funny enough, four out of the last six rounds, I, you know, I could go in an entire event without spraying and dropping. That event, the last four out of six, I had to spray and get behind to get the W uh, because my 15 lighter better wasn't good enough in each case. <laughs> it's tough. So it, it's, it's one of those where the kitchen sink was thrown at me and I just, I dodged four bullets where I was able to force guys under by a couple thou here or there. Man, I, I finally got the one that kept getting away. So that, that was pretty emotional. That, that was a, that was a huge one for me. Yeah, I'm sure that that's such an iconic event and a long list of very accomplished racers have collected those main event trophies. So I'm sure it was really cool to add your name to the list. Absolutely. We'll wrap it up, Rick. Just, um, I know you got a little bit left on your 2019 schedule. What does that look like? Come Thursday afternoon, probably about midday, I'm going to head out and I'm going to be participating in Galen's turkey race of some sort. There's four 10 granders down in Gulfport, Mississippi, uh, where no box is held separate for the first five or six rounds. So I'm going to go down and uh, try my hand at that. And then uh, the week after, I'm going to take a week off. And then if the weather looks good, I'll probably head up to uh, Bowling Green, Kentucky for their three 10 granders. Actually, they changed the format this year. There's like a 15 grander and a five grander Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday of that event. So I, I plan on doing that as long as the weather's not too cold. We'll see. It, it's that time of the year where, you know, I'm kind of chomping at the bit. I got a new motor being built. I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get the old one out and put the new one in. And definitely want to spend some time with the family and do some, some cool stuff there. You know, we'll see. You know, I kind of played that card the last three years where if I just don't feel like going and just heart's not in it, I decide not to go. And if the heart is in it, I try to give my, my best and, and hope it's good enough. Well, I'm sure if uh, if you do decide to go, you'll be plenty good enough. So, Rick, I know there's some great companies that help your racing program and, and keep you with uh, top-notch products so you can get to the winner's circle. Just a good time right now to to thank some of those people who is, who's on your list, bud. Well, there there definitely is, and I think there's there's a ton of great companies that sponsor our sport. You know, not only you know my individual operation, but you know the IHRA, NHRA, and and, and big dollar bracket racing scene. So I don't want to leave anybody out necessarily calling out my my individual supporters, but every company that that helps all of us grow our sport and allow us to do what we want to do um, on the weekend and, and have fun in a, in a safe and clean way. Definitely want to give a shout out to, to every one of those contingency sponsors or main event sponsors. I know you've got a lot that support you and Steve's efforts and what you do. So I want to, want to first and foremost say thanks to everybody there. From my standpoint, you know, not only the, the companies that, that currently help me today, but, you know, I've had a, a ton of great people help me along the way. 
folks like APD and a breezy transmission, Badman racing engines, Milodon, and I know I'm going to leave several out here, but you know, my current sponsors today, I've had Mickey Thompson as a supporter of mine for, you know, the better part of 14 years, 15 years now. And, uh, man, the, the level of support that, that they give me is, is just, just insane. You know, Tommy and the boys at Mickey Thompson, they're always there to support, you know, not only myself, but, but other racers, you know, make a fantastic product and cool guys to hang out with. So definitely want to give a shout out to Mickey Thompson, May carbs. I did mention APD earlier, May, uh, West May, he put together a carb for me this past year, actually last two years now. And, you know, it's been pretty off the chain. It's, it's been a pretty good piece. So, um, you know, thank you for, for putting me together a good piece there. FTI performance and trick flow specialties trick flow. I don't think they get uh, enough notoriety for, for what they do for our sport. You know, they're a huge supporter of summit motorsports park up in Ohio, but they also support the IHRA world championship series for the bracket racers. I'm fortunate enough to have them on my side and, uh, you know, Mike Downs and the boys over at, at TripFlow do a heck of a lot of work for me and, and always there to answer questions or point me in the right direction. So definitely want to give them a shout out. And then uh, throughout the years, K&N and JEGS, they, they provided me some support too. So I, I don't want to forget anybody that, you know, has helped me along the way because it's, it's certainly not me. It's a, it's a collaborative effort. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Very well said. That pretty much wraps us up, but if you've ever listened to one of these interviews, you know there's a little ending that we like to do called rapid fire. And I've got five quick and easy questions for you. Nothing to it. You just give me your answers, and we'll bring this thing to a close. You up for that? <laughs> Absolutely. It's fun. <laughs> All right. You got to tell me your favorite Texas Roadhouse meal, because I know you're a fan. <laughs> eight ounce sirloin medium salad with ranch and fries with cheese bacon and ranch oh that guy's experienced and it sounded so good <laughs> <laughs> rick what's your dream race car funny enough the one that i got um, I thought you'd say you that. know people ask me what uh what it would take for me to part with that thing not necessarily that they're gonna buy it but theoretically speaking what would you sell it for and I can legitimately say, without a doubt, it's not for sale. So I wouldn't accept $100,000 for it, crazy as, as that sounds. I understand completely. If you didn't race, you'd spend your time what? <laughs> I would spend my time at Disney with my girls. Absolutely love the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> awesome. Very good. What's your favorite song, Rick? Oh. Man, is this a favorite song to karaoke to or favorite song overall? Give me both of them. <laughs> <laughs> so favorite song to karaoke to, uh, man, I shouldn't even open my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of started as a running joke, but, you know, it's something that I've done a couple of times now. I Can Be Your Hero Baby by Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> 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 I never would have picked that. <laughs> what about other ones? Uh, but, got ones you just got to turn up when you hear it? Yeah, I kind of like uh, a song by Billy Carrington. 
do I make you wanna? You know, it's just kind of a, it's got a mm. cool, cool beat to it. And, uh, you know, it's a, a jam that I like to listen to. I wouldn't have got either one of those for you. So that was good stuff. Last thing on the list, Rick, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oof. I guess maybe as corny as it might sound, you know, I, I definitely align myself as more of a conservative from a political standpoint, but you know, I, maybe it's because of all of the, uh, social media exposure and, and just mm-hmm. news exposure period. It just seems like, you know, the world that, that we all knew 15, 20 years ago is, is, has changed quite a bit. It just seems like there's a lot of divide, whether it be the, the previous president or the current president. And, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm not really not one for, for trying to create, uh, you know, divisive tendencies and, you know, making people mad, you know, it, it might happen just by chance, you know, in, in my daily happenings. But, you know, I guess if I had one superpower, I'd, you know, maybe take us back 15, 20 years ago where it seemed like, uh, you know, people respected each other more, um, didn't really look at whether they're blue or red, you know, I just, just try to try to live my life and, and, and try to be as courteous and kind to others. It just seems like that's, that's changed a little bit over the last 10, 15 years. No, very well said. I didn't see that one coming either, but uh, I certainly agree with you wholeheartedly. So, and if uh, if you're not into making people mad, you might want to chill on some of those, you know, Ohio State posts and when you're posting things where little tigers are walking around and stuff like that with the little <laughs> with the little bug eyes and you know, you might want to chill on that just a little bit, my friend. <laughs> yeah, pr- pr- probably that and the uh, the Hoosier Mickey Thompson rivalry. I'd say, huh? Oh yeah. Well, obviously, I'm on <laughs> opposite sides of you on a couple of major topics. But it's all good. It's what makes the world go around. But at the end of the day, you know, you know what I look at there is is that's trying to have fun. You know, there's potential that that folks take it too far. You know, I'm sure I've done that quite a few times in my in my lifetime, but. <laughs> At the end of the day, I, I try to make it right, and I say, "Listen, you know, it's uh, it's all for fun, and it, you know, we all are out there doing the same thing, whether it be cheering for our favorite college football team or, or drag racing, whether you're on Hoosiers, Mickey Thompson's, Goodyear's, or or BF Goodrich. Does it really matter if we're out there doing what we all love? That's right. Just keep the sport alive any any way we can. That's right. Well, great stuff, my friend. I appreciate you sharing your story with us. You know, I feel like I know you pretty well, but I think I got to know you just a little bit better through this. So I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it as well. And I thank you for taking some time to, to sit down and chat with us tonight. Well, you're very welcome, Jed. Thank you very much for uh, asking me to, to join you guys tonight. Yeah, man, it was a pleasure. Good luck the rest of the year, wherever you go. I'm sure we'll be seeing you hoisting some checks and trophies soon. I sure hope so. <laughs> Thank you. Right, Jay. Have a great night, bud. All right, man. You too. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on 
Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. The BTE Black Friday sale is back with 20% off of virtually all BTE products. Browse their selections now so you're ready to take advantage of the best prices on torque converters and transmissions. Luke Bogacki Motorsports is taking Black Friday orders now. Orders will ship shortly after Thanksgiving. Take advantage by visiting thisisbracketracing.com backslash parts and enter the promo code BTE Black Friday. Let's take just a minute to discuss motorsports insurance, specifically Larice Motorsports Insurance. If you're anything like me, you know of someone, uh, whether it's a friend, someone within your racing family that has lost everything, whether that be through everything racing related, whether that be via fire or theft, highway accident, on-track accident. And if you're anything like me, you've also realized that you have a significant portion of your net worth tied up in your racing equipment. Maybe more than we would like to admit, right? This is, after all, our passion, and it can become a bit of a money pit. What you may not know is that there are options to insure your racing equipment, race cars, trailers, support equipment, both on the track and off, and that doing so is not as costly as you might expect. To do that, for me personally, I chose... Larice Motorsports Insurance. They're a great company offering an excellent product and they stand behind it. Now, I've been so impressed with Larice and their commitment to excellence in this regard that we've partnered with them through thisisbracketracing.com. Our own team member, Ashley Thompson, is a licensed broker for Larice Motorsports Insurance. If this is something that you would entertain, that you would like to know more about and or get a quote for your particular op- application, contact us. Go to thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote and Ashley will get back in touch with you. Again, that is thisisbracketracing.com slash get a quote. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning it. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switch and be like Jared Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. 
You can dream of that feeling all you want. Or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.